So, 1 Corinthians, <laughs> wrapping up 42 sermons. And uh, it has been, um, I, I've, I've said this before about uh, sermon series, but every time I close out a sermon series, it's kind of bittersweet because you feel like you get to know the people and the story. Uh, you get to know this church a little bit. You get to know um, the, the author's heart, whoever it was. Uh, so it's always kind of a sad thing to, uh, to leave a particular study, uh, but it's also an exciting thing too because we get to look forward to uh, something new and something different, um, which will be coming in uh, after Easter. Uh, so after Easter, just a little preview, we're gonna be jumping into Ecclesiastes, uh, which is an Old Testament book, uh, a really uh, interesting book, a very challenging book, um, a uh, kind of somewhat controversial book, uh, a book with a lot of really raw language. Uh, a lot of talk about just how life is meaningless uh, and some of the emptiness that comes in life. And I just thought, you know, for myself and I think for many of us, uh, those are questions we face a lot is what is the meaning of this life that just seems so meaningless sometimes? You look around at some of the stuff going on in the world and you just kind of think, where is God in all of it? Uh, and so I think it's going to be a, a really fantastic book for us to go through. I'm very excited to, uh, to jump into that uh, after Easter. Uh, but for today, we are closing out 1 Corinthians. Uh, so I want to uh, pray and just thank the Lord for this morning. Thank him for bringing us through the last 41 sermons and, um, and just uh, helping us along in this last one uh, that he would lead us and guide us this morning in his truth. Father, I am, um, I'm overwhelmed right now and I, I think I'm just trying to subdue myself a little bit. Um, part of it, I think, is, is closing out a sermon series. Uh, I, love, I love the journey of going through your word with my church family. I love spending this time with these people that I love. And um, closing out a a book is, is bittersweet for me because as I look out at the, these faces that are in my life, that you've put in my life, um, we go through this life together and um, we've seen a lot of difficult topics through the last uh, 42 sermons and I'm grateful to be a part of this church. I'm grateful that we get to learn from your servant Paul writing to these other churches that had problems just like we do. I'm grateful for your word, that your word guides us, that it's our light, that it helps us when we're lost, when we feel like life is meaningless, we don't understand things. I'm grateful, God, and thankful this morning just to be um, led in worship by uh, our kids just seeing the way um, that you're raising the kids, not just the ones on stage here, but the kids that are in the, the other rooms um, across this building. We're grateful for the Sunday school workers, the volunteers, the teachers, the junior high teachers. We, just, we, we love your grace, God. We love what you give to us. And so as we close uh, this letter out, we, uh, we ask that your truth again as always does, it just, it leads us, that your spirit would take your truth and bring it into our hearts. We thank you so much for your faithfulness towards us. And it is in the name of your great son, Jesus, that we pray and ask these things. Amen.
I'm going to backtrack a little bit um, into 16 verse 10 and we'll read to the end. Um, and um, what Paul's doing here is he's giving, again, I mentioned this last week, but some of his uh, travel plans, but also um, a few little exhortations to the church um, as some other folks are going to be coming into Corinth uh, to teach them and lead them and guide them. So uh, here's chapter 16, verse 10. When Timothy comes, Paul says, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He'll come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. So be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence. For they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca together with the church in their house send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. And I think you can hear some of the personal nature of Paul's close here, just him, even him closing out saying, my love, my love. He's not just the Lord's love, but my love be with you all. I'm writing this with my own hands. Uh, he just, he wants God's grace to be with them. He closes this letter with this exhortation to the church, which I think is actually a very personal exhortation, though it sometimes maybe seems like kind of a, a little laundry list before he closes out, but I think there's a very personal aspect of this close for him. Over the last 16 chapters, as we've seen, he's uh, had a lot of controversial issues and topics. He's had to confront them in a lot of things. It's very difficult uh, to confront people. Uh, the, a lot of different things that he's confronted them in was uh, the adultery and uh, suing one another, uh, not giving deference to each other, uh, not respecting each other, uh, all kinds of things that were amiss in the church. And so he spent the bulk of this letter confronting them, confronting their propensity to, to prop up big, amazing leaders and look down upon others who have lesser gifts. But yet also, throughout this whole letter, he's been affirming his love for them, reminding them how much he does love them, and encouraging them to, to strive to be the kind of people that are people of generosity and people of grace, showing grace towards others, showing deference to one another, esteeming others as greater than your own self, and aiming to build each other up for the sake of Christ. And so he's been trying to find this balance, and then he close as we saw last week that he wanted to spend the winter with them. So he's not avoiding this difficult church, but he loves them. And he ends with this, what I think is, again, this personal section of, of exhortation. He's imploring them to do something particular. He's uh, imploring them to, to put at ease, to comfort, to submit to, to show respect 
to some of these gospel laborers that are going to be coming to visit them. So if we look back again real quick, we'll look at uh, three of them specifically. He says, put Timothy at ease. Well, why? Why should we put Timothy at ease? Well, look what he says. Because Timothy's doing the work of the Lord as I am. Timothy's giving every part of his life in a full-time type of a way, going around preaching the gospel. His, he's, his life is all just preaching the gospel and discipling people, going around to the churches. He became the pastor at Ephesus. He's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Respect Timothy as he comes. Help him on his way in peace so that he can return to me for I'm expecting him with the brothers. Then he also says to be subject to Stephanus and his household. He says this, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and they've devoted themselves to the service of the saints. These are people probably that give everything. Every part of their, their work week is given to the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. He says to give recognition to Stephanus, to Fortunatus and Achaicus. He says, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. They refresh my spirit as well as yours. So give recognition to those people for what they have done for you. And then he mentions, interestingly, Priscilla and Aquila, or Prisca and Aquila. These are leaders and Paul's partners in Rome. Uh, the Corinthians have heard of them. They know of who they are. Maybe they've even visited. And so they know that these are very respectful people. And so it almost kind of seems like that as Paul mentions them, it's maybe kind of a little name drop. He's naming these other people. And then he names Prisca and, uh, and Aquila. Just to say like, we, you know these guys. Well, these guys send your greeting too. And I want you to treat these other folks that are coming with respect. I want you to submit yourself to them, refresh them, bless them. Paul knows the propensity of the Corinthians. He knows they're difficult people. Uh, he knows they can be a little cantankerous. They can be um, abrasive. They prop up people that they think are worthy of respect and they diminish people they don't think are worthy of respect. So I think Paul is kind of paving the way a bit for the Corinthians' hearts, but also paving the way for these leaders that are coming in to bless them, to shepherd them. He knows that these gospel workers could come into town and the Corinthians might not show them that kind of respect. They might see them and think, oh, why do we have to listen to these guys? Who do they think? We're here first. They don't know how things go around here. They could kind of have that attitude. You're not the boss of me, that kind of a thing, that mentality. I don't need to listen to these guys. Paul knows how he was even viewed. You know, he's weak in person. His letters are great. He writes strong letters, but in person, eh, he's just, he's not very good. He knows what they say about him. So he's trying to set up his friends and these gospel workers for success and trying to set up the Corinthians for success. So he gives them this exhortation to be a blessing and refreshment to these gospel workers. And I think that as I read through that, uh, I, I relate a bit to it. Over the years, I've... Um, I've met a lot of different people that are part of other church plants. You know, not necessarily the pastors or whatever. I'd meet those two, obviously. But just random places, I'll meet someone and say, oh yeah, I'm part of the church. Oh, cool, yeah, you guys started like three years ago and I'll start talking with them. And even though I don't know maybe their pastor, or maybe I do, but many times I don't know their pastor, but we'll just start talking about what it's like to be in the church plant because you know, we know it's a lot of work. And, and I'll start talking to them and, and um, almost always unsolicited, uh, I say something like this to them. I'll say, can I ask you to do something? And they say, yeah. 
And I just say, pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor. Pray for his wife. Pray for his kids. Pray for their marriage. Pray for the leaders in your church because there's gonna be more going on in their minds and their hearts that they feel the heaviness of than they're ever gonna even let on to. There's gonna be things that go on behind the scenes that you'll never know about and you don't need to know about. Something between him and maybe a couple other people or maybe just between him and his wife or whatever it might be. But I just say, pray for your pastor. And um, I do this because obviously I, I know the, the kind of the peculiar life, the kind of uh, the unique, impossible to explain um, strain that it can be on your spiritual health, your mental health, your physical health, your marital health, your family health, all these things. It's, it's just kind of a, it's a weird thing. And um, it's, it can be a strain on just, just almost everything, really, just relationships. And Paul knows this too. Paul knows the, this weight or this burden, and so he's trying to give these guys the best fighting chance they can go into this church that has problems. Uh, in his second letter to the Corinthians, he writes this, and this is speaking of Paul's own experience and just the, uh, the anxiety he has over the church. He says, apart from other things, so he goes on a list of all the things that wear him down. He says in 2 Corinthians uh, 11, and apart from all those things, there's also the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. We've read church through 1 Corinthians and other parts of, that we've read about Paul. We know that Paul loves the church. He loves the people that he ministers to. Even this church that is a difficult church, he loves these people. And so there's anxiety that he has because he loves them so much. Similar, I would say, to the anxiety that parents have over seeing their kids go through difficult things. There's that part of us that is natural. We, we care. We care for the people that God has brought in our lives. And so we have anxiety over the people. And I don't think it's, I don't, you know, anxiety is oftentimes it's a sinful thing, but I think there's a natural, real, and good type of uh, pressure anxiety that we should be feeling as parents, as friends. And I believe that Paul has that similar type of daily pressure and anxiety. And so he's saying, when these guys come, I want you to try to make their job of ministering the gospel to you as, as easy as possible, as refreshing as possible. It's not gonna be seamless. They're a church. They're sinners in that church. <laughs> There's gonna be problems, but he's just saying, help them as much as possible because Paul knows those daily pressures. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17. The author of Hebrews says this, obey your leaders and submit to them because they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. These leaders have to give an account to God for how they cared for people. But then the author of Hebrews says this, let them do this with joy, which I think is what Paul is wanting to set these guys up for, that they could serve the Corinthians in joy. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning because that would be of no advantage to you. So this isn't just for these pastors or these, these leaders' sake, just so they can kind of have a nice, easy cakewalk in Corinth. No, he's saying, if, if you guys don't, if you're, just, if you're troublesome to them, unnecessarily troublesome to them, you're not gonna 
reap the advantage and the blessing of having these guys in your life to be able to teach you and lead you. It's a great advantage for a church to have uh, pastors and other leaders that are serving with joy. From our kids volunteers, to our connection team, to our community group leaders, it is a blessing for the whole church when the people who are leading the church are serving with joy. The church gets the benefit of that. And so what Paul is saying is, I, I want you guys to really think through this because this is a scary job description for these guys coming into Corinth. You know, imagine you sit down and you look at the job description, you're applying for a job and it says, overseer of souls. <laughs> you're like, oh, interesting. What's the pay? <laughs> is it hourly or is it salary? Are there benefits? I mean, you're looking at that and then you say, oh, and by the way, uh, you answer to God. You have to give an account to him at the end of the week for how you did. I mean, it's a serious thing. It's a heavy thing that these guys are coming in and Paul knows this. Oftentimes throughout my week, I get, um, uh, there's different uh, guys in my life that check in with me uh, regularly, almost daily. Uh, and a lot of times they'll just ask me how my day is going, how my week is going. And um, I'll give them the standard protocol answer. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> you know, or I, <laughs> I'll just kind of give them something simple like that. And my friends know me well enough uh, that they know that that's, you know, just a smoke screen. Uh, I'm never really just doing pretty good. You know, if I say it like that, then there's something else going on. And, and so they're really good at just prying and digging and um, being nosy for the glory of God, basically, is what they do. And, uh, and it's amazing because um, I, I know that they, they care for me. And I tell them a lot of times, I tell this to my wife too, you know, uh, anytime I open my mouth and I sound like I'm complaining or I'm whining, I mean, it just drives me nuts. I just want to shut my mouth and I would rather just keep quiet and put my head down and just move forward and work through whatever trouble is going on. But gratefully, there are people uh, in our church family and outside of our church family uh, that don't let me get away with that. They press in. They aim to refresh. They aim to, to care. But other than maybe, you know, those, my wife and those I'm close with, there's a lot that I do um, keep in. There's a lot that, um, that these guys going into Corinth, that Paul knows this, that there's going to be a lot of trouble. There's going to be a lot of um, stress, chaos that goes in. For myself, there's going to be, uh, there's so many things that go on behind the scenes, conversations that happen at 6 a.m. over coffee or late at night or uh, things that are constantly ping-ponging in my brain that maybe keep me up late at night because of, as Paul says, the, the pressure and the daily anxiety I have over the church. Things that pain me, things that trouble me and burden me, things that I, I wish I could just snap my fingers and just make it change, whether it's something in myself, something I'm doing, or maybe it's something in someone's life that is breaking and these things just go back and forth in my brain or in conversation with my wife or maybe with Eric or someone else in the church. And I know that I am no different than any other pastor on this planet. That this is kind of the job description that God has brought people together to help one another with different varying gifts and different roles. Each one of us has a particular role in each other's life that God uses us to point each other to the gospel, to point each other to Jesus. And even as I share now, um, you know, I, I know that this isn't just my, what I go through. I mean, I, just last week, um, this is actually a few weeks ago, I was spending time with um, 
a pastor. And whenever I get to hang out with other pastors, it's very refreshing for me because we learn from each other. Um, I'm reminded when I get together with other pastors that, um, that our church is, uh, God is blessing our church. God has blessed our church. Um, God has given us much. And I'm refreshed when I hang out with other pastors being reminded of how gracious God has been to us. I'm also reminded that I'm in the same boat as all these other pastors that I might meet with. And we learn from each other. Uh, We try to refresh each other. We do a lot of consoling of one another. We're able to kind of talk through different difficult things that maybe I'm not allowed to talk about within the church, whether it's confidentiality or other things. And uh, maybe something that's really wearing me down. Uh, I, I get a lot of consoling that way. And a few weeks ago, I was getting together with a friend of mine who was a pastor, and uh, we were just going to get together just to kind of hang out. And uh, he'd been to Rome before, so he was really kind of coming over to help me do that. And, and it turned into um, a much longer meeting where at the very end, he just said uh, he, had, he ended up having a lot going on in his life, and he just kind of, you know, kind of let everything out in my you know, living room there. And, and afterwards, he just was kind of laughing because he goes, I feel like I just had like a two-hour counseling session right now. This was so awesome. And... The part that pains me is because I know I've been on the other side of that couch, you know, where I'm with another pastor and they just kind of let me melt in front of them. And um, my heart breaks because um, I know that a lot of times, uh, a lot of times pastors might not have some of those outlets or those different relationships, these people that want to refresh. And I'm grateful because in our church, I have that. I was um, with a guy a few weeks ago he was only two years into his church plant. And um, he um, thought he had to, was having a heart attack. And he's young. And um, so he's kind of on leave right now. And we hung out. We had lunch. And I was just uh, kind of just trying to bandage the guy a bit, you know, as, as much as I can, just as a brother. And um, my heart was breaking for him because I, I understand. And I asked him in particular, you know, what... What is it you think that is the most um, difficult? And his answer, which I understand too, because I, I, I've answered this way before, he says it's the always-on mentality. It's, it's the 24-7 thing. Uh, you can't leave work at the office because it's 24-7. You, it affects your social life. It affects your marriage, your family. It affects your, your kids' social lives. The thing that pains me a lot of times is I know that the way that church life is with all of our ups and downs, the thing that I think about a lot is what my kids who are sitting in the front row here is how they're gonna view church as they get older. What are they gonna view church as? Was church a, a burden for mom and dad? Was it something that, that wore them down or was it something that gave them joy? And I'm mindful of that. And it scares me. Um, and we talked about that, me and this guy, and you know, just the, the constant kind of feeling like your life's under a, a microscope. And 
Another pastor that said the pressure of just feeling like you've gotta be everything, Superman, all the time. You gotta be the best counselor, Bible scholar, the best evangelist. You gotta be you know, good at business. You gotta be a good personal friend. You gotta you know, be the best dinner host, all these things. You have to attend every event that everyone does. You know, and it's just like, I feel like I have to be Superman. And, um, and so I think, again, Paul is sitting here going, help these guys, help them help you. Another guy, uh, this one, I think he put this one pretty good. He said that he feels like his congregation is filled with a bunch of Goldilocks. <laughs> Everything's gotta be just right. <laughs> you know? And when he said that, I was like, oh man. <laughs> and I've said a lot that it's, it's not usually one big thing. And most pastors won't say it's one big thing. It's not like this one big thing that blows up their life or blows up their church, but it's usually like the death of a thousand cuts. It's just a little cut here and there and you kind of just don't really notice it, but every once in a while, it just kind of, you just realize you're bleeding everywhere. And so Paul is hoping that the Corinthians assume the best about these guys coming in. That they would reap the benefit of having these different folks come into town and lead them and guide them whenever possible, being a blessing and refreshment to them. And I'm grateful, I'm very grateful I mean, our church is far from trouble-free. That's why we're here, because we're not trouble-free. But I'm thankful for the men, the men and the women that God has put in my life, my wife's life, that refresh us, that encourage us, that lift up our arms when we can't lift up our arms, that pick us up when we can't get up, that preach the gospel to us when we're having a hard time believing the gospel. We are blessed. We're blessed to be in this church. My wife and I are blessed to be friends with you guys, brothers and sisters with you. And this doesn't mean that Paul's saying, and it doesn't mean in our church either. It doesn't mean don't go to the pastors with troubles. That's what they're there for. These guys going into Corinth are there to, to shepherd them and to help them. But as we aim to also refresh them, that's gonna actually prepare them to really take on when the big troubles hit. It's to be able to find just kind of that ebb and flow within a church, enjoying the great blessings of when things are going well in life and then letting that prepare you for the times when things are not going so well in life. And this isn't just for pastors, this is for everyone because look what Paul says here. He says in verse 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. And I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. So be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer, not just the pastors, not just these guys that were named. He's saying, let everything you do be done in love and also refresh and be subject to these other fellow workers and laborers. Not just these particular men that were coming in. We ought to be the kind of people that are continually showing honor and respect to those who labor among us. No matter what that looks like, whether it's in this church on a Sunday morning, the people that are setting up things, the people that are leading us in worship, the people that are serving our kids, or even in our jobs, the people that labor among us. Kids, it means your parents. Your parents are laboring for you in the gospel. Aim to be refreshing to your parents. We ought to aim to be, as Paul says, watchful, standing firm in our faith, acting like men. Be strong. Let everything we do be done in love. Now, I want to say this about just 
concerning the people who labor among you, wherever that is that you're thinking of right now, they might not be doing the best job. God has called people into your life, friends, family, co-laborers, laborers, they might not do the best job at what they're supposed to be doing. They might not be doing their job the way that you think they should be doing their job. They're not the best friend that they could be. They're not the best Sunday school teacher you wish they could be. They're not the best coach. They're not the best whatever it is. But I'd ask you to start at the starting line of assuming the best of them. Assume the best. Assume the best for them. Give them the grace that you hope that you would get from them when you're doing a job that you're trying to figure out and you're not that great at it, but you're trying and you love it and you're, you're doing it. Give them the grace that you would like for yourself. Assume the best. Philippians chapter two, this is Paul to the Philippian church. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Esteem others that are serving among you and serving in various ways. Let all that you do and all that you say be done in love. And again, this isn't just for their advantage, it's for yours. As the author of Hebrews says, let them, kids, let your parents, folks, let the Sunday school servants, let the people at your work, let them, let them do this with joy. Let them do their job and fulfill their role with joy and not with groaning. Help them to do that because if it's with groaning, it's gonna be no advantage to you. God wants to bless both those that are serving and those who are being served. Those who are leading and those who are being led. He wants both to reap the joy of being in a church family where everything we do is being done in love. That's what he desires for us. It benefits the church when we do all things in love. Those who labor among you don't need more unnecessary critics or thoughtless criticism. I think you've probably met some people here and there that think there's such thing as a spiritual gift of discouragement. <laughs> there's not. <laughs> I've looked, I've even looked in the book of second opinions. It's not there. There is no gift of discouragement, but some people think that that is a gift. Church, we need more encouragers in the church. We need less critics and we need more encouragers, more people who are gonna be uh, lifting each other up and esteeming others as greater than themselves. We've oftentimes, I think, we've made criticism into even a sport in our culture. It's like this kind of, um, we've confused criticism with, with wisdom or something. If you can point out something, then it shows how smart you are. If you, everyone else loves something, you go, yeah, but look at that. Like, oh yeah, I didn't know. Wow, you're so smart. I would have never noticed that. We, we, we think that criticism is some like kind of wisdom of some sort. There's a, <laughs> I love this. I use this phrase a lot. So I'm gonna let you know it because I'm gonna use it a lot in my life. You guys remember Christmas vacation, right? The Griswolds, right? Clark goes through this whole big thing. He's, he's, he puts the house, he decorates the house with all these lights and he can't figure it out. He's frustrated and he wants to do this to, I mean, really because it's self-centered, but he wants to do this because he wants to bless his family coming in town. And it's this frustrating thing and he finally gets it and this, this house is just lit up. I mean, you know, the whole grid went down and whatever. So he's just like so excited. You know, he's got this just, you know, I mean, his Chevy Chase had this dumb look on his face. Like, you know, he's just uh, wide-eyed. And then as he's just taking in the moment, his father-in-law comes up 
And Clark puts his arm around his father-in-law. He's like, Art. He's getting all you know, emotional. Art, this is for you. And then what does Art say? He goes, the little lights aren't twinkling, Grizz. <laughs> he's like, I know that, Art, and thanks for noticing. <laughs> Sometimes we kind of act like that with people. Right? They're, they're doing all these great things among us. They're, they're, they're working hard, trying to bless us, trying to serve us. And then we just kind of find the smallest little thing to complain about. And we just kind of are like, you know, hey, yeah, that's great, but you know, the little lights aren't twinkling. Like, yeah, yeah, did you see all the other cool stuff going on? No. I, we need more people who have those kind of eyes that are seeing the good things that God is doing in people's lives. The good things that God is doing in our churches. Right? Not just being nitpicky and finding all the little things that we can kind of flaunt our wisdom and our insight noticing the little lights aren't twinkling. But we need more people who are actually going to say, man, thank you for putting on this light display for us. This is awesome. I don't really care that the little lights aren't twinkling. We need more people that are like that. Uh, myself, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a movie critic, so I'm totally preaching to myself right now because... I watch a movie. Now I don't do it as much. At least I try. You have to ask my wife on this one. But after a movie, if I didn't like it, I'm usually quiet. <laughs> so she knows that I didn't like it. Everyone else likes it. And then afterwards, you know, maybe after a little while, we're laying in bed. And then I think Katie just kind of finally has like kind of the, the guts to say, so what'd you think? And I go, well, okay, here's the thing. Right? The plot development was terrible. The character, I mean, I start listing off all these things. And you know what I do? I just point out all the stuff that was bad. And then she goes, Oh, yeah, it really wasn't. I just robbed her joy. She loved the movie. My kids loved the movie. And now I'm going to go and I'm going to say, yeah, but you know what? It was a great movie, but the little lights weren't twinkling. That's all I'm doing. All we do when we are critics is we just rob joy from people. We rob joy. Now, I'm not saying there's no room for constructive criticism or improvement on things. I'm not saying that at all. But we have to think through what should we say? Why are we saying it? When should we say it? And should we say it? We have to think through this. Are we saying this in love? Are we saying this to refresh them and to bless them and to help them? Or are we just kind of pointing out that the little lights aren't twinkling? Church, your words carry so much weight. Carry so much weight. People will hang on to something you said in passing that was critical. They'll hang on to it for years. The word says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. You have the power to either build up people or burden them. We ought instead to be people who come alongside, bless, honor, and support the people who are laboring among us in their various ways. Even if they're not serving you, but you watch them, they're serving other people, bless them. Even if they're not serving you directly, bless them, encourage them. And you know, there's, there's people in your life, you, you know some of these people that are absolutely fantastic at encouraging people. You know them because you want to be around them. You find yourself looking forward to having coffee with certain people and kind of loathing having coffee with other people. And there's the people that you just, you look forward, you see it on your calendar, you go, I just can't wait for that day to come because I get to have coffee with them or breakfast with them or whatever it might be. You want to be around those people. And I think about my own life, the people that I go to when I am feeling down, they're not people that are going to flatter me or just pat me on the back. No, they're gonna, they're gonna tell me the truth. They're gonna speak into my life, but they're gonna love me. They're gonna refresh me. They're gonna aim to refresh me because they love me. They're not gonna see an opportunity. Oh, he's down. Now I can tell him about this other thing that he's blowing it on, 
right? I, I go to the people that I know that they're not gonna flatter me or just kind of you know, make life easy. They're definitely not gonna make the problem go away, but they're people who are gonna encourage me, refresh me, and, and give me, uh, kind of help get my joy back so I can get up and get after the thing that I need to get after. And we need more people like that in the church and in our lives. And I need to be that person for more people. That's what I get convicted on is when some of these guys do this for me, I just think to myself, am I doing this for them or for others? A couple months ago, I told my boys, we were talking about what they want to be when they grow up and not just with their jobs, but I said, you know, when you look around the church, how do you see yourself serving in the church as you get older? Is there someone in the church? Maybe it's one of the junior high teachers or uh, maybe it's a worship leader. Is there some kind of role that you think would be kind of cool to be able to serve people with? And we talked through it a little bit and at the end of the conversation, I just said to them, I said, boys, I don't really... I don't really care what exactly you do to serve the church when you're older. Whether you play music or you teach or you're an usher or you work in the kids ministry, you know, whatever you do, it doesn't matter. You know, you lead in the community group, go to a community group, whatever. So, but here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to be in your church. I want you to be an encourager. And I want you to encourage your pastor. I want you to be a blessing to your pastor and be a blessing to your leaders. If you can do that, I don't care where you serve in the church. I don't care what you do for a living, but I want you to be an encourager of all the people in your church, but I want you specifically to encourage the pastor and the leaders. And I want that for all of us. I want all of us to be encouragers of one another. Because church, 2,000 years ago, God himself came to this earth. He didn't come to judge this earth. He didn't come to judge people, but he came to save people. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. If you're saved today, it's because you were sick, because you were dying. He came to be a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Our perfect God appointed imperfect pastors and imperfect leaders to lead, govern, and serve imperfect people in imperfect churches to carry out his perfect plan in his perfect timing by his perfect power and his perfect wisdom. Church, we are in this together. In all of our imperfections, you and I, and the person sitting next to you and in front of you and behind you, we're in this together. We're a mess. But it's this beautiful, glorious, amazing, gracious mess. A bunch of sinners leading each other in worship a bunch of sinners uh, preaching the gospel to one another. A bunch of sinners opening up our homes to each other. A bunch of sinners serving each other as we get here. A bunch of sinners serving your kids every Sunday. That's what this church is made up of. A bunch of sinners just fumbling forward in our faith. Let's assume the best of one another. Encouraging each other, lifting each other up. Last week, I, I, I mentioned before I, I went into the sermon that I was a bit overcome during worship because as I mentioned that there's all these different conversations that you know, I might have throughout the weeks, you know, the 6 a.m. one here, late night one here, whatever. And though there's a massive burden, like Paul was saying, there's also this incredible blessing, the greatest privilege. I have this weird privilege of, and um, it sounds weird, but I have this honor of, of knowing the sin in our church. As I talk with people, meet with people, it sounds strange, but 
I know a lot of the sin in this church. And I love, church, I love that um, what God has done in our church because as I talk with you, meet with you, I see some of you leading worship or reading scripture or leading communion or serving our kids. I don't walk around and I don't think, oh, there's that sinner who did this thing. I don't see anyone like that. Last week, I was overwhelmed, not because I'm looking at who's leading worship and doing this and that, and I'm going, oh man, what a messy group of people this is. No, I'm overwhelmed because I'm going, God, this is incredible. Look at these people that you've saved. I know where that person came from. I know where that person came from. I know what happened to that person a few months back. I know what happened to them two years ago. And now look, we're, we're leading each other in worship. We're spending time together. We're raising our hands, singing to God. Still imperfect, but God has brought us so far. And he's continuing to bring us so far. It's an amazing thing that we get to be part of this plan of redemption for God's people. And it, is, it overwhelms me. So church, let's, let's reach the finish line together. Let's run this race together, holding each other up, cheering each other on, assuming the best of one another, praying for one another, forgiving one another as Christ forgave us, laying our lives down for one another, spurring each other on towards good deeds.